1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's greeting is formal. Therefore, it, it's not, it doesn't seem like a personal letter that we see in Philemon. We see a personal letter. First um, and second Timothy and Titus are, are what are called the pastoral epistles. And because of the formal greeting, they, uh, scholars say it's not just for Timothy himself, that he wanted it read to the church. And uh, Paul is letting everyone know uh, that this letter is read to what just he lays down the law. Paul's like the authority figure. Uh, he's, he's like the parent in the household. You know how you leave your older kid to watch the younger ones. And what do they say? Wait till mom and dad get home. Right. And Paul has the same um, status among everyone. It says, Timothy, a true son in the faith. A true son in the faith. This establishes that line of authority. I don't think Paul was diminishing Timothy whatsoever, but he's, he's saying, he's my true son. He, he's not a literal son, but he is one that I have trained up, that I've prepared, that i put in place. And he's, he's letting the church know, he's letting everyone that hears, Timothy is called of God, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but Timothy's my man, if you will. Timothy is, has the authority. When I was pastoring a church in Daytona and trouble was brewing in the church, I called my presbyter. I said, hey, I need some help. And uh, he said, if I come down there and help you every time you have trouble, then you're not the pastor said, okay. <laughs> and I needed that. I was, at the time, that was, uh, I was about, uh, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I was 30 years old. First, you know, first and only pastor at 30 years old. And, and uh, I, I was like shaking in my boots, but he, his little kick in the backside, got me on my knees. And I said, okay, God, it's me and you, buddy. We got, I shouldn't call him buddy, but uh, it's me and you, Lord, help me. And God gave me the wherewithal to stand and, and basically be the pastor. And, and Paul is establishing Timothy as a spiritual authority. Paul, this spiritual authority, is sort of placing that on Timothy. Hey, uh, folks, Timothy is a true son in the faith. And he gives more instruction as, as we're going to look at. The calling Timothy true son shows how close their relationship was. Shows the folks uh, sort of like a father and a son. There's no deeper bond between two men than a father and son or two brothers. Uh, I have four boys and we all have, the relationships are different with all four but they're all deep. We have a history. I've known them all their life. <laughs> They've known me all their life. And we have a history. And 
I, I don't have to reconnect with them, if you will. We catch up a little bit, but we talk we're on a regular basis. I can't imagine what it was like back in these days where their talk was through letters if they weren't in the same place. But Paul is letting folks, he's letting Timothy know, number one, you're my true son. You are, you are close to me. And he's also letting the church know, hey, he's, he's, like, he's like an extension of me. He's like, if you've ever been, uh, we have ambassadors around the world, and when they speak, they're, they're basically carrying the word of the president of the United States to the country they're uh, in as they represent the United States. That's why they have to be very careful when you select them. What are they going to say? Make sure you say the right thing. And as representative, as ambassadors of Christ, you and I are on display for the world to see. What do they see in us? Do they see someone that just plays church or someone that lives Christ? Do they see someone that, um, you know, isn't living, you know, lives a double life, if you will? Our families are the first to see that. They see the true who we are, who we are when the, um, when the difficulties rise in the home, but a true son in the faith. Also, scholars, some have debated whether Paul was the author because of various things. Uh, some. The majority of scholars say Paul has his name here, <laughs> Paul an apostle, and they say, well, some of the things that, that are said are possibly not Paul because he's added so much. And, and the both scholars on either side say the same thing. They say, well, if, it, if, it, if they were trying to imitate Paul, then they would have done exactly what he did before. So because he did something a little different, says it is Paul. So it's, it's here in the Bible. It's in the canon of Scripture. And uh, it's God's Word. Because it's not contrary to anything else in God's Word. Uh, and we'll get to vain arguments here in a minute. So Timothy, verse 2, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Lord, and Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. Man, I, I need that. I need all the grace. <laughs> Not I need grace because I'm not perfect. I need his mercy because I don't want to die. Because <laughs> what I've done in my life, I've deserved death. All of us have. But his mercy is extended toward us, right? And peace. My goodness, I don't know how people live without Jesus because there's such peace with God. There's just a just a resting in his presence. I, I hate to use the word rest because we don't sleep, but there's just a, a peace to know that I know God, that I know who he is, that he knows me, that he has me. I used the uh, illustration Sunday about two little girls running up to tell their dad breakfast is ready. And uh, the older girl beat the younger one up the steps and said, I've got daddy. And 
And she had a little tear in her eye. And daddy picked up the little one and said, you might have daddy, but he has me. Right? <laughs> so to know we're in the hand of God, to know we're, we're his. And I tell you, there's a, there's a peace that comes no matter what we face when we know we're in the will of God. There's a peace that comes to know right where we are. It's just an assurance that the storms may be raging. We're not like the disciples in the boat just scrambling. No, we, if, if you look at the master and he's asleep, you say, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. God's not going to let this ship flip over if he's in it. And that's the assurance I have in my life. Some, you know, someone says, what if this happens? Have you, anybody ever played the what if game? That's a, that's, there's no winners in the what if game. Okay. What if this happens? What if it, okay. If I'm with God, he'll take care of the what ifs. He'll take care of whatever comes my way because he said he would never leave me nor forsake me. I prayed with the, uh, Joey who had the motorcycle accident and, uh, he said I could share this. He had a a conversation with God a few nights ago. Okay, an argument. <laughs> he said, God, why, why, why did I wreck? Why did, why would, why'd this happen? Why this? You ever ask those questions? And um, basically he was mad at God saying, why'd you let me wreck? Why this, you know? And God, just as sure as I'm standing right here, he felt God say to him, I never left you. I never forsake, forsook you. I didn't tell you to get on the bike. I didn't tell you to go down that road. But I was with you in the wreck. He should have died. And he's thankful. And, and from that, out of that experience where he, I don't know if you've ever talked to folks that have gone through a traumatic thing like that. There's a, there's a time, it's like a death. You get angry and you blame somebody. And he was blaming God. And God just basically, I said, took you to the woodshed. He said, yes. But he came to this place that, God, not my will, yours. I'm in this. I'm, this is where I'm at now. God, walk me through this or take me through this. When I use words like that and I think of somebody paralyzed, my mind just, oh, I don't, I shouldn't say walk. But we are praying that he rise up and walk and get, uh, be able to use his legs again. But... The point is, he has received peace from where he's at. It doesn't mean it's all over. But he said, okay, God, you didn't uh, cause this. You didn't do this to me, but you're with me all the way. His head was in a ditch full of water. Luckily, thankfully, I was going to say luckily, but thankfully, his friends with him lifted his head out of the water so he could breathe. Miracle. He should have died right there. The trees that he broke with his back <laughs> could have severed. But God was with him. And uh, God's going to continue to be with him. And God will see us through the circumstances. I don't understand. I, um, I drove by a place that reminded me of someone in this church that passed away that I cared for deeply. And I just, I did that. Why, Lord? If they were still here, how much more could they be doing? God said, it's not, 
You don't have to know everything. That's where faith comes in. Because we can't resolve everything. We can't figure everything out. We have to have faith to believe God's going to see us through. Now, are there times I step out of line and things happen? Yes. Are there times that Satan attacks me? Yes. God is with me all the way. God's directed my steps, and I have peace to know he is with me. All right, let's go to verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification. A charge, an order, a demand that they teach no other doctrine. You know, it's like, I charge you, I, I want you to, I demand that you tell them, don't teach any other doctrine. It means that they're, they're currently doing it, though. This is what they were doing, and Timothy said, end it now. Uh, or Paul told Timothy, end it now. These men were mingling strange and incompatible elements into their teaching of the gospel. They were bringing in, when, when people add to the gospel, when they say, you, you have to get saved, but you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, hmm, you're, you're diminishing what Christ did at Calvary. The debate, the problem, the difficulty is, it's, Jesus is a free gift for us to receive. I was at C.C. Uh, Winans concert last night at the Strawberry Festival. My goodness, that woman is Pentecostal, I will tell you now. She, um, she read Acts chapter 2, and when she went, she, verse 1 through 4, when she got to 4 where it says, and they spoke with other tongues, she repeated that. And I could see some of the other denominations sort of squirming a little bit, but she got a lot of shouts. But, um, and then she sung, sung a song called Fire. If you haven't heard that song, uh, I'm going to talk to Jonathan about singing that. It's about the power of Pentecost. Anyway, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's clear, but she led everybody in the sinner's prayer, and, the, and I had this uh, lesson on my mind. All right, they, we can say a bunch of words, but unless they mean it. Uh, and, and she instructed, if you said that prayer for the first time, yes, amen, you're a Christian, but go find a church. And then she said, find a Bible-believing church, one that preaches the word, right? One that's not just... But I, I tell you that, that as we talk about this, as we talk about salvation, it's not just some words we say to put a little sticker in our pocket or a pin on our chest, say we're a Christian. It's a life that we live for him. It's a, I surrender all, I give it all, and I follow after him because it's him. It's not my works that I'm doing to earn that. I've received that free salvation, that free gift, but I'm, I'm sold out for him, doing all I can for him, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because I love him. I don't do it out of some obligation. When I was young, yeah, I would say I was doing it out of, number one, I was trying to live right out of fear, worried God's going to take his club and just hit me over the head when I messed up because I didn't understand 
his, his love and grace because we're trying to balance that sanctification and walking in Him and, and living right and all these things. But there's a, uh, there's a commitment. And, and here, Paul is telling Timothy or telling the church, listen, don't give in to fables. Don't give in to endless genealogies and these disputes. You're losing the focus. You're losing the main point. And when you go out, if you witness on the street, you'll run into this. People will grab you and they'll, they'll want to talk all these, um, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And they won't really get to the core of the issue. Are you right with Jesus? Are you, are you saved? Have you asked him in your heart? Because they want to talk about, what, do you, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, some trib, no trib, <laughs> right? Whatever. Uh, tribulation for those that don't know what I'm saying. But uh, those are great debates for uh, seasoned believers, if you will. But for the, the new convert, and Paul's talking here, we have a young church that he's writing to. I mean, Christianity hadn't been that, it's, it's not that old. This was written just uh, probably about 20, 30 years after Christ died on the cross. Somewhere around that. So they're still pretty young. People are coming and, and here the, these uh, men were coming in with these sort of strange doctrines, sort of out there doctrines, and it was bringing confusion. It was, bring, it was taking the focus off of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing him from sin and getting them off in I put the word strange in there. Strange and strange. Incompatible. Something just doesn't, doesn't fit. Um, these false teachers were preoccupied with fables and endless genealogies, which caused disputes rather than leading others to Jesus. It caused arguments. It caused angst. And I find this, when, uh, when God moves... The enemy wants to weasel his way in and get, a, get our focus off of what God wants to do. And it happens in, in any service or in any movement of God where here's your focus and then all these things start happening. I, I picture the guy spinning the plates in the circus, you know, or whatever. He's spinning those plates, getting them all. By the time he gets to the end, that one on the other, on, you know, the first one is just doing this. He's got to run over there. And, and I see that with, uh, with revival. Sometimes we lose focus and these plates start wobbling and we run away from what we should be doing and we're fixing this. You find this in your family, in your home, where, you know, we're going to never fails. We're going to be at church. We're going to come to Sunday school. We're going to do this. You know how you, you make those plans and then the car breaks down. This happens. Um, I know a family that they made a commitment. They were like, we're, we're moving on. We're, we're going deeper. We're, we're not going to, they were just committed more. Car broke down, put it in the shop, had to get a rental car. And then that Got it out one day, ran over a, a had to be a spike or something because that tire was totally flat. Had to call a tow truck and just said, we're not losing. 
We're not, we're not giving in to this pressure because we made a commitment and we're going to do it. They had to miss the service because they couldn't get here, but they said, we're not stopping just because that happened. But Paul said, don't give heed. They, it's, uh, I charge you that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now, can you imagine the we, we get into genealogies here and we want to know who our ancestors are and find out uh, who we are. But for some of us, we, we, might, we may not know our genealogy, but we know whose we are. Amen? We saw Pastor Davis go through this with, with all that he's been through, but wow, to shine strong, to, to be... Uh, just to know how God worked all things out to get to the place. It's just a miracle. And you and I, and some of you are miracles in yourself. I wonder sometimes, why did God allow me to be born into a pastor's home? He probably knew how bad I'd be if I wasn't. <laughs> I, that's, I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful. And uh, whatever you're upbringing it, be thankful that you're here today, hearing the word of God, and just have an opportunity to study because it, it's God. There are conspiracies that have circulated over the years and, and different things. I remember, this isn't a conspiracy, but I, um, what, I don't, it'll come to me in a minute what it is. But at Christmas time, there was this thing back in 1993, people in our church wanted to send Christmas cards to a kid that was dying. Because they, and Facebook wasn't out at the time, but it was, basically they wanted people to write letters because this kid was dying of cancer or something, and they wanted all the, he wanted to break the world record, Guinness World Book of Records, to getting the most Christmas cards. Some of you might remember this. It was a scam. It was a scam. And so, the folks came to us and they wanted to announce it. And the pastor, I was the associate at the time, he said, would you look this up and research it? Well, they didn't have, internet was like, you know, that you, you dial it up. Okay, it was super slow and I didn't know what to search for. So I called the, uh, the little FBI hotline on uh, scams and, and all that. And I told them what, the, I read the letter to them. They said, that's a total scam, don't do it. Because what they wanted people to do is write this letter, this get a Christmas card, and their heart strings would be tugged to put $5 in or $10 or send them a check to just help them out. They didn't ask for money, so it really wasn't a scam, but it was. So went through that in 1993, told our folks, and then I went and pastored a church, and sure enough, about three years later, somebody brought me that, that very same letter oh, we need to do this. We need to announce it to everyone. We need to help them. I pulled up my file that I had done the research. I said, this, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a scam. And that's, those things can cause angst. And when, when we get caught up in, in things that don't really matter, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, I mean, we can, scholars 
I don't how many scholars have we had that dissect every word of the book. We don't know it all. I don't. I I will never know it all. I I won't know a, a tenth, or I shouldn't even say tenth. I won't know a, <laughs> but that much of the word. But I know Him. Now it's no excuse not to be a student of the Word. All right, don't get me wrong. That's why we're here tonight. We want to be students of the Word, but we don't want to be caught up in all the things that can can just spiral people out of, out of control. And I want to caution you on this, and that is to be careful not to shake young converts' foundation. When I went to Bible school and my one of my professors started talking about stuff I had never heard of before. And, man, you can shake someone's spiritual foundation. You start doing that. Uh, I needed it because I was in Bible school. But to, but to take a, a new believer, we had to give their heart to the Lord Sunday, to go up to them and start talking to them about uh, Bible doctrine, you're, you're not in, in the divisions we have, you know, or disagreements or all that. That's not the place to do it. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to learn who he is, know that he loves them, he cares for them, that he wants them to live. I mean, the, Paul even said they just, those young Christians need milk. They, they need milk. If we try to, they'll choke on a piece of meat. My two-year-old uh, he loves meat now. But until he got teeth, we were not feeding him meat until he could chew it. And now, even now, we cut it up in small pieces. So if he doesn't chew it well enough, he still swallows it, is able to swallow. So be careful. Be careful with young believers. There are doctrinal positions and deep theological ar- arguments that can cause a new believer to doubt if God cares for them. To doubt if, you know, they doubt their own existence or they doubt, you know, the hand of God. And, and sometimes it'll, it'll hurt their faith. Be careful. Be careful with new believers and treat them like you were treated when you were a young believer. If, if you were treated well, if you weren't treated well, treat them the opposite. All right. You just never know who your audience is sometimes. Verse five. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Idle, vain, the, the word there, did I put it in your, yeah, I put it in your notes. I, can't, I won't even try to pronounce it because I'm not a Greek scholar, which means the teaching doesn't have a point or a goal in mind. It's like a never-ending maze. It's like you just get lost in the thoughts, all right? And so that's, that's what idle and vain mean. It means it has no, there's no real purpose. It's just a time to argue and a time to just discuss things. Uh, one of my sons... He loves it. He's a Bible scholar. He has a master's degree uh, in Bible, and he loves to talk all these things. He just 
That, that's just him. He'll talk all day long about it. But when he's dealing with his eight-year-old son, I just told you who it was. When he's dealing with the son, we don't talk about those things. We don't, he, he wouldn't understand it anyway. Um, but you can get lost in a never-ending maze. Paul said, uh, they've strayed, they've turned aside to idle talk. They've strayed from the purpose. They've strayed from the message. And there's, there's some ministers out there, and, and one in particular I, I think about, they talk about the message of the cross. Don't lose sight of what Christ has done. Yeah, we have all these other things, but he came and died on a cross, and he rose again. Amen. And then he, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Don't lose sight of what the, we call it in the assemblies, the cardinal doctrines. The cardinal doctrines, those things that we don't waver from, we don't shake from, we don't leave off. He, he is God. He came and died for us. Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners and for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The law is not made for the righteous, but for the ungodly. Jesus declared that. Remember, Jesus said, the law says this, if we live, but I say, if you say, if you, the law says don't murder. He said, but if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. He said, the law says, uh, don't commit adultery. He said, Jesus said, but if you look at someone inappropriately, you've committed adultery in your heart. Because we think, oh, we're free from the law. Yeah, but we have a higher standard even then with Jesus. The law brings, and one of my pastimes, I don't have much time anymore, but one of my pastimes is watching those crime shows where they have something happens, a murder happens, and they solve the murder, and I try to figure out who it is and, and all that. The criminals know the law better than you and I. Why? Because they're, they want out. They, they know it forward. I don't need to know every law on the book. I need to obey them. But I don't need to know the letter of the law because I pray I'm living a higher standard than what the law says. I pray that we as believers are, we're not above the law, if you will, but we should be living a standard that God has set, not what man has set. We know, I mean, the Ten Commandments, if, if the world would just follow the Ten Commandments, we'd have a pretty good world, but we can't. We steal, we murder, we, not us, but you know what I mean. All, you know, 
Man is, is a lawbreaker. But Jesus has come that we might have life <laughs> and have it more abundantly. People just don't realize how much we have in Christ and how if we're living by the law, if we're living by all the regulations of the law, then we're, we're going to be miserable because we can't live up to it. We can't. But in Christ, with Him, and in the Spirit, let me just say this. The, um, the Bible says be full of the Spirit of God. If I'm out sinning, doing things I shouldn't, the Spirit is... He's not there. If I'm walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, then I'm guided by the Spirit. I'm letting Him lead me. And I don't have to worry about sinning. I don't have to worry about if I'm going to mess up because I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm uh, living with Him constantly. All right, let's move on. Verse, where am I at? Verse 8, I already read that. Let's see, 12. 11, thanks. <laughs> Somewhere. According to the glorious gospel. Yeah, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is Paul. Paul said, I thank Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Wow. Paul and well, we'll get to, we'll just keep reading. You'll hear what all Paul was here, right? Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. There are folks out there that have no idea why they're living the way they are and doing the things they do until we present the Jesus to them. It's not an excuse at all. Paul's not giving an excuse for himself. He's just saying, hey, I didn't know any better. This is what I was doing. I didn't know any better until I met Christ. And Christ, knowing all I've done, called me. All right? So that's, that's when we talk about grace, man, God's so good. His grace is extended toward us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's break this down. Verse 12, I am thankful that God has put me into ministry despite my past. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor. Insolent means he was obnoxious. <laughs> Ever met someone obnoxious? Right? And God showed, don't poke your husband or wife. Okay. And God showed me mercy because what I did 
was out of ignorance and unbelief. I mean, Paul is a living miracle. If you and I were God, I don't think we call Paul. Might put him down because he's killing all my believers, but <laughs> thank God I'm not God. You, you probably saying the same thing. Thank God Greg's not God too. God, God saw something in him. God sees something in you and I. I have you ever looked at your life and said, Lord, what do you see in me? What, what do I have to offer? What do I have, Lord, that, that you need? And that's the neat thing about God. He's called us. He's pulled us out. He set us apart. But Paul's saying, listen, I was the worst. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Means uh, he's the, the highest, the top, the main, the, the first one. He's, he, if you look up sinners in the dictionary, Paul's picture's there. That's basically what he's saying. He's not saying he was the very first sinner. He's just saying, Guinness Book of World Records sinners, there's Paul, okay? Who, who better to save, right? I mean, God's a pretty smart guy. Who better to save than the one that's destroying everybody and hurting and sort of putting a damper on Christianity saves him? That's what we pray. God, save the worst sinner in Lakeland. Save the worst sinner in our family because if he's saved, if they're saved, and they see a change in him, it's going to cause people to, to do a 180. They're going to say, you know what? If God can save them, God's got to be real. I, can you imagine the believers that are running from Paul? They hear he's coming and they know what he does. You know, he, he puts them in prison. He's, they're stoned. You know, all these things that he takes them out and they beat them and they... Whatever, you know. Of course, we know when Paul uh, went, uh, went to different places, they were afraid of him. They're like, oh, this is a trick. This, he's just undercover. He's pretending so he can get in and know us all. I thought about the, the missionary we had. Got to be careful. We had, we had someone here Sunday that's in a very sensitive country. If you were here Sunday night, you know what it is. We had to shut the live stream off because if the country he is in, if the government finds out who he is and what he does, anybody and everybody he's connected to in that country is in danger because not only do they, would they kick him out of the country, but everybody that he's associated with, and he said uh, those that are uh, foreigners would be kicked out with him because they, but the uh, locals, the people that live there, jail, some of them killed, for sure beaten, their property taken from them. There's a lot of ramifications. And here's Paul, and, and the Christian community is, what? You know, I don't know. I, I'd be skeptical. Paul is persecuting Christians and then he wants to come to town and do a revival. I don't know. <laughs> right? I, but God, God, I mean, the greatest missionary that ever lived wrote this. Greatest missionary to, to touch his 
besides Jesus, and Jesus wasn't a missionary, he's the son of God, so greatest ambassador for Jesus, was the worst, the chief of sinners. Verse 15 says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He came to save sinners. The plan of God is just, no other religion in the world has has God, or whatever God they proclaim to be, come down to man? Every other religion except Christianity, man has to try to do something to gain access, to gain favor, to gain something from God. Jesus came in the form of man. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He came, took on flesh, walked among us, uh, bore the stripes on his back, endured the persecution and all that, died on the cross, rose again on the third day for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Have you ever thought, God, why would God do all this? It seems, amen. Amen. It, it's so amazing to me that God cared enough and He wanted man to worship Him out of their own volition, not because he was, they were forced. If you, like me, you drug your kids to church and uh, you can take them to church, but you can't make them worship. <laughs> You can sit them on the front pew, but you can't make them lift their hands. When we were at the concert last night, C.C. Winans, I mean, you just the whole thing was just a worship service. If you don't know some of the songs she does, we, we do a few of these. Believe for it. Uh, you're worthy of it all. She did uh, The Goodness of God, uh, many, many, many others. And it was just a worship service. And then she went off into the, some of the old songs and just amazing. And here I, and I'm thinking, because we're surrounded by all these carnival rides, carnival foods, all these things. Earlier in the day when we had, a, we had a meal right under the stands and there was a country band playing. I don't know who it was, don't care. But they were, I mean, it was just blasting loud and some of the words I just wish I hadn't heard. Didn't understand all of them, but and then uh, that evening, here's the Christian, the message of the gospel going out to people that are, they're not there to hear it, but we when we left and, and they were finishing up, you could still hear it, you know, half a block away. I'm like, gospel's going out. God wants his name Spoken. He wants the word spoken. Um, go back to verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. He counted me faithful. Paul, I should say Saul, <laughs> unfaithful, but God saw something in him. God sees something in you and in me. He says, you know what? If you just surrender to me, 
I'll make you great. Not great in man's eyes, not great doing this, that, and the other, but great in the kingdom of God. The Bible says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And whoever God calls you to, whatever God calls you to, when God calls, we need to say, yes, Lord. When God says, here, do this, and it, and it takes a step of faith, and it starts out small. He said, if you're faithful in the little, I'll make you ruler over much. We don't do the little so we can get much. We do the little because we're obedient. And the more we're obedient, and I find this when we're, if we talk about the gifts of the Spirit in operation, it, it, we have to step out in faith. We have to, the, I won't say the more you do it, the more God uses you, but the more comfortable you are to hear what the voice of the Lord says. And many times as we're ministering to someone, I don't know about you, but for me, God will put a scripture in my mind. Or God will, uh, I prayed for a, a lady, she wants to share her testimony Sunday. Didn't ask her what her problem was. I, the Holy Spirit just led me to pray and she said, God, touch me. This, is, this, this, and this happened. It wasn't me. Because I didn't, you know, I, there was a, anyway. Let God use you. Be, listen to him. Know his voice. Know what he's saying. Know what he's speaking. Let the word and those scriptures come to mind. and Don't just pass it off. Be in tune with the spirit. Walk in the spirit. It's, you don't, how can I say it? You don't prepare for it. But you've got to be ready for it. And by prepare, I don't think, okay, if I go, here's the scriptures I'm going to give them if I run into somebody with this problem. No, I'm in tune with the Spirit. I'm praying. I'm, I'm walking with Him and know the Word so that He has something to draw from. So when I step into that situation, He can quicken my heart and my mind. And I can speak it. And I can share it. So if, when I say don't prepare for it, our preparation is a, is a wholly committed life to him and his word. That's our preparation, not a particular thing we prepare. You've got the knock at the door unless you have the sign, no soliciting. They come up and they have to go through their little spiel. I need a sign so bad. Thankfully, I have a loud dog. They come to my door, and immediately my dog goes crazy, and they back all the way up about 15 feet my, to the edge of my house where the sidewalk meets the driveway. And they're way back there because <laughs> they're afraid if I let that dog out, something's gonna, he would lick them to death. Don't tell them that. But they had that little spiel. Yeah, have you had your windows fixed lately? Do you need a new roof, you know? Don't sell me anything. If I need something, I'll call somebody. But sometimes when we're in the Christian life, we, we try to prepare this little thing so we, when we run into somebody, we can share with them. You need to know the Word and know what to say, but Jesus told His disciples, or maybe it was Paul, don't plan what you're going to say. I'm gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. But the Holy Spirit needs a reservoir to draw from. All right? Don't, 
It, it's like a kid praying that never studied for the test, and they're sitting down at the test, Lord, help me pass this test. God's like, ah, you didn't study. <laughs> I ain't doing that. That's me talking, maybe not. I taught school for 16 years, so I know I've seen kids pray. Best, you, you watch prayer in school, you give them a test. There's prayer in school. <laughs> but you can't pray, Lord, give me the answers to the test when you never studied. Right? <laughs> so know the word. So the Holy Spirit has something to draw from. So he has a, a, a place. And you'll be amazed as you uh, get in his word, as you um, have regular devotions, how what you just read that day or two days before comes up. And, and don't say this, don't, wow, isn't that strange? No, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's God walking you. Let him, let him guide you. Let him direct you. And let him lead us where he wants us to be. All right. Let's go to verse, I'm gonna, yeah. Verse 18. I, I probably shouldn't skip too much. All right. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Let's stop right there. He's repeating it. He said it before. He's saying it again. My son, Timothy. There had to be, and there was, trouble in this church where the authority of Timothy was being challenged. And he wanted to continue, he wanted to emphasize this. I think also for Timothy's sake, because he, he gives him some specific direction, I think he was, this this one right here might have been more for Timothy than everybody else to reassure him. Listen, you, you have it. You have it. You have the wherewithal to stand. 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 I, I charge, I commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. All right, let's... let's Let's stop there. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Let me back us up to remember the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts that he set apart Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit had them set apart Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit's moving. We don't have every recording of prophecies that occurred, but apparently we have a, a call here from, from Paul reminding Timothy of the call of the Holy Spirit on his life. Saying, don't forget, God's called you. God set you apart. God's anointed you. God is, there's been prophecies made over you. This is, you're in that place now. The, that word is not going to go void. The prophecy's been given the Holy Spirit has spoken over you, has set you apart. This is that moment. So many times, so many times we, we pass by those moments. We gloss them over. We skip them. We ignore them. And let me just encourage you, even if those have been passed by, you say, you know what? That was God. I didn't respond. God's mercy and grace is there. It's not over. It's not over. Now that opportunity is over. 
God may give you another opportunity with whoever that is or whatever that is, but sometimes you say, okay, God, I'm sorry I missed it. Lord, help me learn from that so next time I don't. Sometimes the, for some of us, we think about it after the fact. Some people are quick. My goodness, their minds are so sharp. Mine's as dull as an old fish hook in the bottom of the tackle box. It just, I pray the Lord give me a sharp mind, but sometimes we, but God's grace is there. Don't feel like it's over. We sing a song said, if I'm not dead, you're not done. <laughs> if I'm not dead, God's not done with us. I don't know what God's plan has been for your life, is for your life. But rem remind yourself, Lord, you spoke this word over me. I'm not letting it go. Paul's reminding Timothy, don't, don't lose heart. Don't let it go. Don't give up. He's saying, my son Timothy, I, I can see. Can you see Paul and a bunch of the elders gathered around him? When they went on their missionary journey, he was on some of those missionary journeys with them, and he left him there. Uh, we can read in Acts where uh, he told him to stay there in Ephesus, and this is where we get this. But uh, they were laying hands on them and praying over them. We brought our children up to the altar Sunday night and just prayed over them before they went to kids' choir. I pray, my prayer is God raise up missionaries, raise up pastors and evangelists and teachers and prophets from that group, Lord. Raise them up. And not just for later. Some say, well, that, uh, that's a church for tomorrow. Some of them are leading the way now in their kids' church. They're praying for each other. We have to help instruct them a little bit, but they're praying for one. They love Jesus. I, there was one down here at the altar a couple weeks ago just giving it all to Jesus. I, I think he's 10 or 11, might be 11. My God, I was filled with the Spirit at age 12. There's no age limit as long as they understand. God can fill them. God can use them. I, there was an Evangelist, I told you about the trouble I had in the other church and, and the presbyter told me I need to handle it. So I got on my face and I prayed, God help me. And then I got a knock on the door. And the guy said, hey, I know uh, your former pastor from Frostproof. I said, okay. I started in Frostproof. And that got him in the door. He had a Diet Coke and a regular Coke in his hand. And He's, whichever one you want, you take. I can't remember which one, but he began to tell me everything going on in my church. He said, you, you receive words from the Lord. I said, well, I judge them by the word. I didn't know him. He, he used a name I knew and trusted. My goodness, it was like he opened the mail that read our church problem and and he, had, he didn't know anybody in my church. He wasn't even from our town. Just God had revealed to him all the, the spirit that was behind everything going on. I was a weeping mess. Because <laughs> I had just gotten up off my knees to answer the door. 
from praying, God, I need a word from you. And God had one already driving to my, walking in my door. Don't be afraid when God answers your prayer. <laughs> don't be shocked. I, I should say, don't be shocked when God answers your prayer. When you're sincere, when you're calling out to God, He will answer. And I, I go back to knowing God called me there and standing and standing strong. Knowing God's called you in who you are and, and what you are to do. We're going to stop there at verse 18. So we'll finish chapter 1 and go into chapter 2 next week. But I want to encourage you, don't forget what God has spoken over your life. He's not done. He's not done with us. His mission is the world. He needs every one of us. He needs every believer to respond to say yes. Bye.